I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. On today's episode, we welcome one of Dr. Ben's heroes. This is going to be especially fun. It's episode 50 of Designed to Heal, and I'm your host, Jeff McLaughlin. Dr. Ben, welcome, Thank and you. congrats, man. What a, what a fun run. We made it. I can't believe it, especially in today's uh, culture or climate, the fact that we've made it not been censored or cut off. It's, or, it's the internet, man. That's what it is. Like uh, The network can't shut us down, but we've got guests it. today, man, so we introduce them. These, these are some heroes of yours, and I, I think the audience is going to love these guys for sure. One of them's a repeat. So Yeah, we've got of our, our dear friend uh, Lori back. I always want to call her Dr. Lori, and so we welcome Lori back, and many of you remember her episode, and, and then also a good friend of hers, and, a, and then a friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, and really a hero to many out there. And if you, if you, some of you've heard that name and you've known that name for decades and you've know some of that story, but I know there's some listeners and I was talking before the show with Dr. Wakefield. It's somewhat interesting. Time has gone, so many years have gone by. Some people don't remember how some of this began and they don't know maybe that story. And so first of all, I just want to welcome Lori and Dr. Wakefield to the show. Hi, it's great to be on. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you for having us. We Pleasure. have exciting news, obviously, with the movie that's coming out, The Act, 1986, 1986, The Act movie, which is about that. We're going to talk a lot about this, the vaccine, uh, you know, immunity law that was passed or the act that was passed and the new movie related to that that I've seen. And so we're going to dedicate some important time to that. However, for our listeners, Andy, if you wouldn't mind I know you've told the story a million times and I know you don't have to defend yourself. Um, you're, it speaks for itself, but for the benefit of our listeners, do you mind walking us through how you ended up here? You know, what was the impetus? I know you have a long history in medicine and in your family and, and academics and work. And, and so I just want our listeners to know kind of what you've been through to get them up to speed if they didn't know. Because a lot of people will listen and they'll Google you and they're not going to get the whole story. So I'd love for them to hear it from the, the horse's mouth, if you will. Sure, Ben. I'll, I'll be as quick as I can. It's really, I, I guess, uh, my career, I must have upset someone along the way. Uh, I can't imagine how that, that happened, but it's really how to take a relatively promising career and flush it down the toilet and... Uh, I come up with something new. I started out, I graduated in medicine in London from 1981. I became a surgeon. I was a gastrointestinal surgeon. I was interested in inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and colitis, entirely mainstream. Got involved in academic gastroenterology and, uh, and uh, had a big research team. Got involved in looking at um, the role of measles virus in Crohn's disease as a possible trigger in some cases. And in 1995, parents started contacting me and saying my child was fine. They had an MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella. They uh, had a seizure or they went to sleep for three days. They woke up, they were never the same again. They'd lost their speech, language, interaction, socialization. And they had become ultimately diagnosed with autism. I said, I know nothing about autism. It was so rare we weren't taught about it. How can I help? And they said, I've come to see you because or I want to see you because my child has terrible gastrointestinal problems. 
I know they're in pain, they're bloating, they're failing to thrive, they've got diarrhea. Um, and I know this is related to one, the vaccine, and two, their developmental disorder. And when the bowel is bad, the brain's bad, and conversely, when the brain's bad, the bowel's bad. And when they're good, then, uh, you know, they both get well together. Now, Andy, so, this was what year? Because, I mean, that is, you know, right now, a little more common talk, right? I mean, that's not shocking in 2020. No, no, this is absolutely, this is 1995. And of course, it flew right in the face of the pediatric psychiatry community, believing that this was, first of all, the mother's fault. The child was hated by the mother and wanted to die, or that this was a pure genetic disease. It was extraordinarily rare. They were completely wrong on virtually every front, and the parents were right. Um, so we put the autism to one side. We said these children have an inflammatory bowel disease and put till proven otherwise. We scoped them, and yes, they did. And the parents were right on that. The doctors were almost to a man and a woman wrong. And so when they said my child has regression into autism after a vaccination, we had to take that very, very seriously, which we did. And uh, that was uh, an interesting crossroads in a career. And I was told if I pursued that, it would not be good for me if I, you know, and I should just fall in line and I couldn't do that. And so it was not good for my career in one respect, but um, it was right. It was the right thing to do. The parents were right. And uh, what ultimately convinced me that they were right about the MMR vaccine is that when I shared the idea with the CDC scientists at the Vaccine Safety Office, that MMR vaccination might be related to vaccination by or to autism by virtue of the age at which a child gets it. The younger the, they get it, the greater the risk. They studied that, found exactly that to be the case, and then they covered it up and destroyed the documents. And when someone is forced to commit scientific fraud, there's a huge risk in the face of a finding in order to protect the vaccination program, then I was convinced that the parents had been right all along. So MMR implicated in autism for sure. The only thing, absolutely not. And of course, we've learned all about thimerosal, mercury, aluminum, and every other thing that's in vaccine since. But that was really the beginning of the journey. But I then fell foul of the media and uh, the pharmaceutical companies, mainstream medicine, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the CDC, and you name it. And uh, I was labeled a fraud. I'd made it all up and uh, I'd exploited children and caused all kinds of harm to the vaccine program. And, you know, that's just what happens to people who cross that Rubicon, you know, and um, it's, it, it's as valid, it's more far more valid today than it ever was before, but the parent's story was right. And that's the key message to take away from it. And so I became a filmmaker and here I am, we just released the third film and the show goes on. And can I ask you one quick question for the listeners regarding the, how the career kind of took that turn right there? Uh, just so uh, the listeners can understand. So there was several people that were on this article, right? This it was published and the retracted and things like that. And I would just want them to know that that was, and I will let you say it much better than me, but, you know, exonerated. You were one of what, what 12 or 13 authors on that. Uh, forgive me if I'm not giving the complete right numbers, but um, this, I would just want them to know that what the things that were said about you and have been said about you and even continue to s say about you have been proven to be, um, not only inaccurate, but completely false. And I just would want listeners to know that as we head into that. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. So is there a better way to say that, Andy? Oh, uh, you're absolutely right. We, the, the controversy focused around a paper 
on the first 12 children with autism and gastrointestinal symptoms that were investigated at the Royal Free by some of the world's leading experts in the field of pediatric gastroenterology. The findings in the Lancet paper were precise, exact, honest, and have been replicated worldwide. There is no question about that, but it was completely misrepresented and deliberately so by a journalist working for Rupert Murdoch, with huge vaccine interests, clearly, and it made it into the national news uh, that I had been, that this was unethical, we'd exploited children, committed fraud, done it for money, uh, the usual kind of scenario. Yeah. It all fell apart when this story became before the English High Court uh, many years later, but then the damage was done, the careers were destroyed, and uh, we were left to pick up the pieces, which we've done. So then you, then, you know, because of the implications of that and careers being destroyed and such, you um, you find yourself, you know, thrust into this, whether it was willingly or unwilling or divine intervention, if you will. Sometimes this, the universe has a way of taking us places. Um, you've certainly shown yourself worthy of the fight over these years. You get involved, if I'm jumping too far, back us up, but let's just go to Vaxxed. Is that a fair next step? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so take us through Vaxxed. And it's so funny, you still often get the, I don't want to say the attention for that movie. Obviously, you big part of it, but it wasn't about you, right? Is that is that okay to say? The movie wasn't about Andy. Deliberately not about me. I was the director of, of Vaxxed and co-wrote it with Del Bigtree. And, sure. Uh, Vaxxed was a, an extraordinary story of a CDC whistleblower from the Vaccine Safety Office who came forward for the first time, we'd never had one of these before, came forward and said, I'm a senior scientist, I was responsible for designing a study looking at vaccine safety. It was actually the hypothesis of the study was something that I'd given to the CDC uh, the year before saying that we believe it's age of exposure. We believe that younger age of exposure may be why some children are, are at risk and some aren't. Those who get it later may be at far less risk than those getting it at, say, 12 months. Uh, and we know this because with natural measles, if you get it when you're younger, under the age of one, you're far more likely to have a severe outcome than if you get it later in life. So age of exposure to viruses is a major determinant of outcome. Is that also true for vaccines? So so logical, you know, a lot of this, Andy, is, you know, these hypotheses that you hear are put forward just as a, you don't have to be a doctor or anything. I think you just look at that and go, well, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, give my one year old a beer. It's going to have a different outcome than my, you know, 300 pound uncle, you know, or, or whatever. And I forgive the metaphor, but it's some of no, these are not that complicated. We it's a it's heartbreaking that we do that. I want to just interject one thing so listeners would know when you say whistleblower, this is not, I want people to understand that's a legitimate title, right? That comes and confers certain um, governmental, you know, protections. This is not like I tattled on my sister. This is a, when whistleblower uh, means something very important, correct? Absolutely. Uh, William Thompson, who was the scientist, had filed under the Whistleblower Act, which had been passed. Uh, really quite recently at that time by uh, under the Obama administration to protect federal employees who were going to um, report uh, misdemeanors, uh, fraud example, as an example, uh, by people working for the federal government. And that's exactly what he did. So he had a protection in law as a formal whistleblower. And uh, he came forward and said, we tested this hypothesis. We found that it was true. And we covered it up. We published a paper saying that we didn't find this effect. We destroyed the original documents. But I knew 
that um, these documents were part of FOIA requests, they were being sought by the Department of Justice and destroying them was a federal offense, destroying government documents. So I kept them and here they are. And so we were able to make this extraordinary movie, not based just upon his story and his recorded confession, but upon the original documents that he provided to us. And it was a tale of horror of uh, five scientists who had committed one of the most egregious frauds in the history of medicine and deliberately put children in harm's way of a serious, permanent, irreparable neurological disease because they wanted to protect the vaccine program. And we have been trying ever since that time to bring Dr. Thompson forward to be subpoenaed either in a court of law or before Congress. Congress have run a mile from this. They are terrified of the pharmaceutical industry and the pro-vaccine lobby and the all of the attendant uh, election funds that come with that and all of the things that it involves. And so they've run a mile. And so our only port of call is going to be to get Thompson before a jury. And that is what we plan to do. So, so people, because I think this blows people's mind, um, he, the whistleblower is still actually works at the CDC, right? I mean, that's part of his protected status. They can't fire him. Is that, an, is that correct way to say that? That is correct. Now, whether he's, yeah. he was due for retirement certainly sometime soon, but yeah, he was, he was, they didn't know what to do with him because yeah. he, was, he was still employed. The Obama administration's law had protected him, but they did move him sure. to a different department to try and get him away from the vaccine safety office. Some of the statements that I heard him say that I would, because I think for our listeners, I really, I say this often, if you, whether it's because families and people get into the vaccine awareness, vaccine, you know, movement and whatever the term is right now, uh, I don't even know, I can't keep up. Sometimes it's an injured child, an injured, an injured family member. Sometimes it's ingredients sometimes it's i mean there's a lot of ways in sometimes but when i remember listening to his you know recordings and him saying how i feel um guilty every time i see an autistic child because i feel like i played a role in that and i mean so when we're talking fraud at the highest level to a mandated vaccine program where federal offenses and destroying data and manipulating studies that doctors are going to use to you know tell you you need to vaccinate your eight pound baby we have a really big problem on our hands that i don't think any of us could even without sounding like wild conspiracy theorists that is a, a trem that is a massive thing to wrap our heads around right to really realize that that has happened at that level yeah there's no theory here <laughs> this is fact it's all based upon documented fact their documents okay so there's absolutely no theory this is fact so this movie comes out and it, it is a it's a game changer, I think, right? I don't know you you'd anticipate it would get as much attention as it did? Not quite. We uh, we you know we got into Tribeca, it got censored from Tribeca, and that was the that was like the blue touch paper and stand back. And De Niro went on the Today Show and elsewhere saying we did the wrong thing, people should watch this movie, and we had that what we call the De Niro effect and it exploded worldwide and it really backfired upon those people who sought to censor this film and to keep it quiet. Everybody wanted to watch it and it really caused mayhem for the pharmaceutical industry, the vaccine makers and the federal agencies responsible for vaccines. So fast forward now to maybe this latest film and I'd, I'd like to dive into this and let our 
let our people know. And, and maybe you can describe the movie, but I, we were talking a little bit earlier off air and our host, Jeff, who you might hear a little bit from today, he has father of five and, and little kids and they're an unvaccinated family, but he came through it more like, maybe not like the scientific eyes, like maybe a doctor or my wife happens to be in a research attorney and not even through that side. They were just a mom and a dad with their first little baby who's eight pounds and they go in for one of their well baby visits and they said they were going to do eight shots that day. And the dad, you know, mom and dad say, gosh, that seems a little strange to us. We don't, we, you know, we want to think about that. And the way they were dealt with, and this has been, you know, many years now, but the way they responded and the way that the doctors responded, it triggers something in that parent. And I know, Andy, you have been such a proponent and such a of listening to families, right? Listening to moms, that instinct that moms have that are really is our last barrier, I think, right now between pharma and, and mandates and where we could end up. So you f- you decide to make this movie, The Act, 1986. Can you take us through this? Well, let me let me defer at this sure. point to a mom who took exactly that decision. That's my producer, Laurie Gregory. Laurie. Well, you know, it's uh, we're still in the 24 rollout. So it's like when you first have a baby and you don't sleep, but maybe in two hour clips. Um, it's extraordinary. And it's an incredible privilege to be on this journey, of course, with Andy. He is such an incredible hero. And they don't call him Andy the Valiant for nothing. Uh, I, you know, I had I had a tangential opportunity to experience some of what happened when Vaxxed came out because I had the privilege of bringing the film to a film festival uh, in my hometown in Florida right after De Niro did his little uh, two-step for whatever reasons that he did them uh, and booted Vaxxed from the Tribeca Film Festival. And so I had an idea of some of the, you know, intensity and, and the ardent support that our community and the health freedom community really gives for Andy and his work. But I believe now that has been taken to a global level because Vaxxed really was, I've, you know, Andy, I've said this before, Vaxxed was like storming the beach and 1986, the act is like taking the country, but it's really taking the world because COVID now has made health freedom and vaccine mandates an international narrative. So we are watching uh, extraordinarily from our our little window here into the world through our our streaming provider of this film. What exactly is happening? I'm watching the world. I'm watching Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, India, Spain, France, you know, I mean, the whole world is lighting up about this film. And I'm just so grateful to Andy for having the vision four years ago to start working on this film because I can't imagine what we would be up against right now in this COVID mania without this movie. Yeah, the timing is hard to to ignore that it literally, you know, came out, you know, a couple days ago here and we are sitting on a precipice that I don't, I don't think... I think we assumed could come, but I don't think any of us still believed it was here and now and that this would maybe be the way that it went. So, Lori, when you part of this movie and producing this movie, what gave you that the context or the storyline? Because I just think it's brilliant that allows you to put yourself in, in the movie. How, what was kind of just tell us about the movie? Well, it's it's not it's not me. I mean, it's it's first of all, this whole thing has been divine grace. I mean, I have. I have watched Andy's vision 
uh, evolve from when we first started talking about this project together 18 months ago. So he was well into his development of the film. But there was a moment in time when we were doing fundraisers in uh, California and the West Coast last spring when um, I had gone on to a conference to prepare for uh, some meetings that we were having uh, in Chicago. But Andy ended up, and he can speak more to this, but he ended up going to a pop-up fundraiser that I helped facilitate that involves some very highly visible folks, one of whom were a celebrity couple who were very inspired by the importance of the film and its message. And, you know, we're very adamant about what can we do? We want to support this film. What can we do? And I know, uh, you know, Andy can tell you these words resonated in his mind. What could they do? And that's when he was very inspired. I'll never forget, Andy, when you texted me that night and said, oh, I just had this, you know, this meeting. It was interesting. And I don't even think it was 12 hours later that you said, I, I figured out what they can do. They can be us. They can be the husband and wife that, that find out that they are expecting. And right. in this case, these two individuals into the story is that they've been trying for a very long time and finally find out that they're going to be parents. And so they go down the rabbit hole to educate themselves about this whole concept of vaccination and they take us with them. And I think Andy, that was such a brilliant concept because this could have been, this could have been a really boring film about policy (laughs) and paper and, you know, government, and we would have been asleep in 10 minutes. But what, what you've taught me, Andy, is that the first rule in film is that you have to entertain regardless of what the topic matter is. It has to be interesting. It has to be compelling for the audience. And if you can deliver your message in that format and stay true to whatever your message is, but within that first rule of filmmaking, you can make something extraordinary. I think that's exactly what Andy has done. And that vehicle of the husband-wife, really I don't even see how this film could have been made now without it because it worked so well. Hey, Lori and Andy, our journey would have been, um, oh gosh, I guess 13 years ago of having that experience with um, the doctors that Ben referenced earlier and with our our oldest, you know, again, who's now 13, um, two month checkup, eight pounds and the vaccine schedule that the doctor we were working with at the time was basically, it's seven or eight that first day. And um, that was a shock for us. Both my wife and I had been vaccinated growing up. Um, didn't necessarily have any kind of strong opinion or any opinion on the subject altogether, but it was that gut check. And I'm just curious, you know, because our experience was the moment that we, all we simply asked for was, um, Hey, can we, can we delay this and we'll come back next month and, you know, give us some time to sort of process, learn, et cetera. You know, is there any need to do all of this right now? And I'm, I'm telling you with hardly, if any exaggeration, the tide completely turned, the mood just completely turned in that office. And needless to say, that was the last visit for us. I said, I, I won't go to a place where I'm treated the way that I was. I'm curious as you guys have been making this, as you made the movie and you were following, you know, these, uh, these families, was that their experience as well? Is this, is our experience common um, across the board? What have you seen? Very, very common. Absolutely. Uh, that you dare not question the status quo. Do not question me. I'm the man in the white coat. I know better. But the point that you make, and, and this is the, the essence of the film, the takeaway message is the power of the, particularly the maternal instinct and maternal intuition, that there's something a voice says, and it said it to both of you in this case, and men have this, but women have it 
to an infinitely greater degree. Absolutely. So the great yeah. majority of families, I find where there's conflict, the mother uh, believes there's a problem. She can't rationalize it. She can't put it down to anything in particular. She can't, it's not a deductive or logical process. It is a visceral reaction and it is so valid. It is so important and it is a survival imperative. It's not an emotional argument. It's not an emotional nuance. It is so real. It is the reason that we're here on this earth. I say this time and again, and you listen to that voice and you listen to it. And that was the important thing. You guys listened. And despite a barrage of what sounds like abuse and acrimony, uh, you walked out and you went down that rabbit hole. You made that choice. You made the right choice, in my opinion. We, and, we, um, you did. And I, I got to say this, though. It breaks my heart because, you know, Ben and I have done shows on this before about just trusting that intuition. And, you know, I love I love being uh, being in circles with with guys like Dr. Ben and all of the, the sort of the tribe and uh, that you guys kind of all roll in that trust this sort of thing. And it breaks my heart because there are people out there that I think had that pause and didn't obey it. And I'm not going to say that I haven't, you know, had other things in my life. This was one area I believe that we got it right. And it's, man, it's heartbreaking, as I'm sure you you know. I mean, you've worked with these people to see the ones that maybe had that pause and just still went forward because, hey, you know, I just, I just quote unquote, trust the expert or whatever. I trust the, uh, you know, I'll, this, I'll use the science in quotes right there. And uh, that's, that, that is what breaks my heart, you know, because of the heartache that people experience afterwards, especially when there's been a vaccine injury, et cetera, et cetera. So can I ask a question? Andy, so I'm wondering, so that just like Vax had this, maybe the linchpin of the movie, of course, was a whistleblower and, and what that created. There's kind of this, this linchpin in the movie with, I don't want to give it away, but we have to talk about it. This paper, this scientist out of California, right, where they were studying the DPT and what ended up happening there, because much like the whistleblower, until you actually wrap your head around the magnitude of what has happened, you, you just, you don't want to believe it, right? And until this document is held in front of your face, at the, the risk of this being kind of a, a heavy story, I'm thinking of an example. Remember the, you know, this fairly recent with the, the, the gentleman, the gymnastics coach up in Michigan, right, who yeah, had yeah, those yeah. atrocities, and there was a, the Sandusky scenario that had happened up in, uh, with Penn State, and there was a book written, it was, I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell book, and he, he talks about a lot of times the parents were the hardest ones to convince that this had been done to their kids, right? And it wasn't until they found, and actually on one of the laptops, they found 25,000 images of, you know, just unspeakable things. And they had to show that to the parents. And that became undeniable evidence where they now were forced to reconcile that something had been done. And I think this movie reminded me in the sense of we have to provide just irrefutable evidence and kind of hold it in front of people and say, we got to talk about this. And so do you want to talk about that? You know what I, you know, I'm referencing that the DPT and what yeah, happened there? The beach, the beach memo. Absolutely. You know, this was one of the most shocking documents to me. I mean, I love forensic analysis of medical records. I've done a lot of it in litigation and, and, uh, the clues are often in there, but no, no, never more so than in this document. This was a situation which this was 40 years after the DTP vaccine, the wholesale pertussis vaccine had been introduced. The FDA decided to do the first safety study. This is astonishing. That 40, this years. Yeah, 40 years. On the market for 40 years. And they have not done a study of safety, but there are reports 
numerous reports from around the world of reactions to the vaccine. So they decided to commission a study funded by the FDA to be undertaken at UCLA by a Dr. Larry Baraf. And they're going to, Baraf is going to give 15,000 doses of DPT. Bear in mind, each child can receive up to four doses in the schedule. And uh, they're going to look at the rate of adverse reactions, particularly serious neurological reactions that are being reported like collapse, shock and seizures. 1,500 doses into the study, Baraf gets a visit, gets a visit from a Wyeth employee called Dr. Deach. And Dr. Deach is there. Who knows why? A pharmaceutical is, em, employee, yeah. right? Yeah, right. For, why, is on a a, why is a pharmaceutical physician interfering in a government-funded study? And right from the outset, there's a big problem, Okay. He should never have done that. And Dr. Baroff should never have sat down with him and discussed uh, the conduct of a study that was just beginning, really, 1,500 doses in, that was funded by a federal agency. That data, those data should never have been disclosed until that study was concluded and the final paper written, submitted, and published. That's what should have happened. But he told him the results. And at that stage, in the Deech memo, which was an internal memo at Wyeth written by Dr. Deech in response as a result of that, that illicit, let's call it illicit meeting. It was um, to say that the majority of the vaccines in this trial that have been given are made by our company, 1,200 out of the 1,500 doses. Dr. Baraf and his colleagues conducting the study consider the adverse reaction rate to be unacceptable. The, react the vaccine is excessively reactogenic and rather than the expected rate of 1 in 15,000 seizures for the vaccine, 1 in 15,000 doses of the vaccine causing seizures, it was 1 in 300. And collapse shock was a similar number. And so the total adverse reaction rate was in the order of 1 in 215 doses. Each child could receive up to four doses. That's an alarming reaction rate. It then documented that Dr. Baraf was going to visit with the FDA to discuss these interim results. When he went there, when he presented those results to the FDA, they should have immediately withdrawn, suspended the DPTP vaccine pending further investigation. If this had been a standard pharmaceutical agent, that is exactly what would happen, but that did not happen. What did happen was something very different, and that is that after Deech's illicit visit, the rate of seizures went from 1 in 300 to 1 in 3,500. How did that happen? The odds of that happening by chance are 1 in 10,000. This was no coincidence. This was something deliberate. And I can say that because the odds of me being wrong are infinitesimally small. Something happened. I don't know what happened, whether... Uh, Dr. Deech went back to Wyeth and made sure that they shipped a weaker dose of the vaccine or an acellular pertussis vaccine or whatever happened. But something dramatic happened to the data, such that when the final paper was published, it was the benefits far outweigh the risks. And this is astonishing to me. And I know fraud. I can recognize fraud. I've investigated scientific fraud. And this smells really really bad and what happened as a consequence of that is doctors were reassured parents were reassured safe and effective right? safe and effective. this was as safe as the vaccine could be 
and so it continued. And so harm continued and children were brain damaged and killed as a consequence. And I am going to get to the bottom of this story. Here we are back with Design to Heal, having a great conversation with uh, with Andy Wakefield and Lori Gregory. Um, ben, I love these guests. I love that you know these are just part of the, the people that sort of influence you and you roll with. Guys, let's continue our discussion and jump right back in. I think a lot of um, people are unaware of a few things. I think one of those things would be that vaccines are not studied or um, tested the way that you might think they are. Right. Uh, when we talk about like placebo controlled studies, long term studies, we're living in this COVID time right now where they're fast tracking or warp speed, you know, a vaccination. There's people that are desiring this yet just by logistical definition, it's impossible to have had a long term study done. Andy, would you be able to just help our listeners a little bit, help them understand that vaccines aren't tested maybe the way that they thought they are and certainly compared to um, you know, typical medications or drugs. And then we can maybe move into what happened with the act of 1986. Sure. Well, I mean, I've just given an example of what the early testing was like 40 years after the vaccine's license. They do the first safety test. Um, it is a fact that vaccines are not subjected to the same kind of rigorous safety study as pharmaceutical agents. So they are not put through proper placebo controlled trials. They are put up against another vaccine, not an inert saline placebo, but another vaccine or a toxin and an ingredient within the vaccine like aluminum. This is not proper science. This isn't proper safety science. This is something that has been facilitated by the regulators um, and is putting a lot of people in a lot of danger. And this was done because the vaccines are not classified as pharmacological agents, not classified as drugs, they're classified as biologics. And biologics were able to circumvent much of the safety profiling of, of classical drugs because they were considered to be things that may be necessary to, necessary to deploy during, for example, a bioterrorism episode. And you don't have time, the argument went, to during the sort of exposure to anthrax or smallpox as a sort of malicious uh, event, um, you don't have time to do the proper safety studies. You need to get it out to the people. And so they were able to find a way around doing adequate safety. And of course, in 1986, when liability was taken away from the companies, for the damage done by their vaccines, then there was no incentive whatsoever to do safety studies. If we're not liable, we don't care. We're not gonna do the safety studies. That would just cost us money. And why would we want to identify something that was wrong with our vaccine? Well, that would, that would impact our market. So they didn't do them. And that's the situation today. And it's so much worse with the idea that they're going to circumvent even those meager safety studies with a COVID-19 vaccine to rush it into the population. We've seen this with one of the vaccines that 20% of people, healthy, really healthy, pre-selected people in the trial getting the high-dose vaccine have severe adverse reactions that require hospitalization. And yet they're talking about these are encouraging results and the stock market price goes through the roof. It's absolutely extraordinary. So I don't think people understand when you said, I mean, some of our people I know are aware, but I mean, for those that aren't, rather, let me say it like that. 
So vaccine manufacturers in 1986 became immune to, you know, lawsuits. I mean, I want you to articulate it, you'll say it the right way. So we say it the right way, but I don't think people again, believe that. So I can be damaged or even killed by a vaccine and I'm, I can't sue the manufacturer of that vaccine. That seems like not, that seems impossible. How can that be in the land of, of America, if you will? But that's exactly where we sit still. That's where we are right now, and it's worse. It's actually worse now so that you cannot take a vaccine manufacturer to any court in the land if you've been injured by a vaccine, except, and there is one except to that, and that is that if the manufacturer has committed scientific fraud, if they have misrepresented, deliberately misrepresented their product when getting a license for that vaccine. And so if they knew that there was a problem with it and they misrepresented that safety data to the federal agencies like the FDA, then they are still liable. And that is what the film exposes. So people are in the, in the next piece of the movie that really kind of hit home with me is what started to happen when this 1986 act happened and then there was this um maybe out of that came what we call maybe vaccine court today and and then you know this place where people were to be able to be compensated for injuries due to vaccines and maybe in a very initial way that looks like a possible you know good way to help people that were that were injured um but it has evolved into something much different and again i think for our listeners, I would like them to, if you could explain just maybe the differences between typical court and some of the really uh, unfortunate things that have happened during this process over the last, and even really the last few years where it's gotten pretty interesting lately. Do you mind discussing that, what's happened with vaccine court? Not at all. Traditionally, these cases would be fought between the parents, their lawyers, and the pharmaceutical company in state or federal court in a classical tort action. The the compensation program replaced that with a no-fault no compensation program where these cases would be taken out of court and put really what, what before what was called a special master. This was not a proper judge. It was a special master. It could be a, someone who spent their life working in tax law, for example, which is often the case. So uh, there was no jury, no judge, no right to discovery uh, from the vaccine manufacturers. The cases were all held in private. There was no public access to these cases. And it was really loaded against the parents. But Congress intended that it should be swift, it should be non-acrimonious, non-adversarial, that there should be generous compensation for the children who were effectively the victims in the CDC's war on infectious disease. The other thing that the Act set out to do was to give a degree of liability protection to the industry to keep making vaccines and also to make vaccines safer. So it mandated that there should be research conducted to make vaccines safer. Now, on the issue of protecting the industry from liability, it's been a rip-roaring success, which has led to a massive expansion in the vaccine program and huge profiteering on the part of the company in respect of the intention to make vaccines safer or to compensate damaged children, it's been a complete and utter disaster. And it's been a disaster because the industry conspired with the federal agencies that were meant to be responsible for protecting 
Americans against harmful drugs. Um, and they conspired to sabotage the, the checks and balances that Congress had, been, had put in place to protect people. And they did that very effectively. And so we are in a catastrophic situation now where the industry have a mandated market. You are forced to get your children vaccinated or they do not go to school, for example. You have no liability. All they can do is make a huge profit and that they have done. And put on top of that, this sabotaging of all of the checks and balances put in place to make vaccines safer, identify the true rate of adverse reactions, all of these things, then we, we are in a, a very, very dangerous situation. And yeah. we, it's going to get worse. Let me ask you a, a couple of questions that we kind of want, because I want to want to ask you something before we kind of go into where we're headed and maybe what we can do as a community, because I know that's a big part of this. And, you know, we're a band of brothers and sisters and a tribe that depend on each other to pick each other up. And we've had some rough days and the arrows come and we want to be that for you in a season when you need that and, and vice versa. But there was a story and it, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, Andy, but I, I think it is so telling. And that's the story about Hannah Pauling, right? And I say that because it really shatters a lot of people's perceptions. You had a, a child who was the daughter of a very top level neuro pediatric neurologist. Is that correct? That's correct. And his daughter ends up developing autism that had been, has now been attributed to a vaccine. And he happens to be the coworker with a gentleman named Dr. Zimmerman, who is uh, even, even more renowned uh, neurologist and was even a governmental um, you know, witness or however they term expert in these court cases that was denying it. He was maybe on record for saying there is no, you know, cause, no relationship between vaccines and autism. Can you kind of put that story in a box for our listeners so they understand what happened there? Sure, this was a nightmare moment for the Department of Justice and the vaccine program because Dr. Zimmerman, as an expert for the government, had written a report saying vaccines don't cause autism. He then experienced at first hand the regression of Hannah Poling, the daughter of one of his colleagues, into autism, having been perfectly normal, in fact, super normal, uh, following vaccination. And they studied this child and they did some metabolic testing and they really came up not with the fact that not only had the vaccines caused it, but how they believed they'd caused it. And I won't go into details of that now, but they did a bunch of metabolic work, which led to some very interesting insights. And so the government's chief expert changed his mind and he told the Department of Justice, I can no longer hold the same position that I did on this because I now believe vaccines under certain circumstances can cause autism and this is how they do it. Which is very reasonable. I mean, I just want our listeners to know, like that's when new evidence appears, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what he had to do. That was his obligation. It's as good. Yeah, we, we're learning. And so they sacked him. They sacked him. They took him out of court. They prevented him from testifying. But when they went into court the following week, they misrepresented his new opinion by giving his old opinion that is an obstruction of justice. That's a criminal offence. That, for that reason, they should be, uh, they should go to, 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 they should go to prison. And what the consequence of that was is they did a secret settlement with Hannah Poling. Uh, they kept it. They did everything they could to keep it out of the public eye. And fortunately, um, someone with a conscience and a journalist, David Kirby, in the film with a conscience, uh, at great personal risk took that document, that concession document, and exposed it to the public. It appeared on Huffington Post and elsewhere. 
and it really blew the cover on, on the government that they had conceded that vaccines could cause autism. And so uh, it was a nightmare situation. Um, and so, and I won't ruin the rest of the story, except to say that the Department of Justice appear to have conspired with the special masters and others to subsequently pervert the, the course of justice once again by changing the decision after the fact yeah. for why the concession was made to cover that up and prevent any further children with that pattern of injury receiving compensation. And when we say compensation for our listeners to know, I'm t- we're talking to the tune of $20 million that this family was awarded. And I, I just say that so people can appreciate the level and the magnitude of injury and and the level of you know fight that's going on for people to do this. So everybody needs to see the movie. If you if you never saw Vaxed, I would start there. Um, and then there's a Vaxed two, which you should watch as well. There's a lot in that about you know HPV and some other things. I think it just helps to continue to wrap your head around what's happening. And then you can watch this movie right now. Um, the the Act 1986 is that the right Lori is that the right website? Am I saying it in the right order? It, it is, and actually, Ben, you yeah. can get all of those films that you just mentioned on our website. They're okay. all available. So, um, Vax Two is not Andy's movie. Sure, it was done with some some of our colleagues who we love so much, Brian Burroughs and Polly Tommy, who Andy worked with on Vax. But we we have it up um, okay. as a courtesy and. And is a, a, a nice agreement with Vax too to have it as a one stop so that everyone who's interested, especially if you're new to this topic yeah. and you want to learn more, you can even see the first film that Andy did, which really wasn't meant to be a film. It was intended to be more of a pilot. Um, and it's Who Killed Alex Sportalakis is a right. powerful film. It's very, very, very fascinating story because it's the first time in the history of the United States where a film has converted the sentence of someone who mm. was facing life in prison for murder. And it's, it's the story of a mom, the child. I'll let Andy tell it if you'd like to ask him about it, but we have Alex Sportalakis, we have Vax, we have Vax 2 and 1986, the act all available at 1986, the act.com. You can go to our merch store and it's all there so there's a thank you Lori. and there's a couple of things i would want the listeners to know there's also an opportunity you guys have a podcast the andy wakefield podcast that uh, is and it also which has some great guests and great episodes i listen to them all and you can also sign up uh, for a members only area for a very i mean it's an embarrassingly small fee right i think five dollars a month is that right Lori? um you know just to support it the is, work thank you so much ben <laughs> We really appreciate your mentioning that because, you know, by having a paywall of $5 a month as a membership, we can create a space where we don't get trolled, we don't get censored. It just provides some boundaries and some safety and some parameters so that we can have the opportunity to share information without some of the interference that we get from the outside world. I remember, absolutely. Yep, go ahead. you'll, you'll, You'll get access to all those podcasts with your membership that Andy and I do one a week. And you'll also get 10% off our merch store, except for the films. And, um, and that's all the time. And Andy also has his own channel now. So you, he pops in and does some Q and A's, some live Q and A's right there that are for members only. So for $5 a month, 
I think you get a really nice value there. Yeah. I, I, at the risk of this being off a little bit off color of a joke, I think my wife will get on just to listen to Andy talk. We get done the other day and she goes, I could just listen to him talk all day. <laughs> I was like, you never say that to me. You never, she tells me to stop talking, but um, the uh, <laughs> one thing, Andy, I just wanted, and I just want you guys to maybe speak to this because sometimes people are given a hard time. I remember I did a vaccine seminar one time. We actually flew in, this is years ago, flew in a medical doctor to discuss some concerns about vaccinations. And then I was uh, grilled in the local media there, by no means anything that you have gone through. But, and I remember them accusing me that I was doing it for, <laughs> for money. And I thought, well, that is funny because I'm flying this person in on my dime. I'm putting them up. I'm paying them. I'm not charging for the event. I was just curious where I was, where this money was supposed to be coming from. And um, I know it's often, you know, people try to use so many different attacks and even a, a, a minimal fee of $5 to great content. And I didn't, you know, we didn't talk about what we would talk about today. Do you guys have anything you want to say to people that, or does it not even worth your time to, to justify that? Do you guys have anything to say to the people that accuse? I would love to speak to that. I'm so glad you're bringing that up, Ben. And, and then Andy, if you don't mind, I'll jump in on this first. Cool. Um, film, film is the most impo- most powerful medium on the planet. It is also the most expensive. And we have obviously a dedication to the mission of health freedom but if we don't pay for it, it goes away. It's, it's extremely important for us to make sure our community have access to the film, have access to everything, and we do the best that we can to do that. But we also have to pay to make this. It's, it's in really a challenging issue with piracy mm. because people are so hungry for the content and we get that. And that's why we've chosen to go out on a streaming platform which will make the the film accessible globally immediately. And without honoring that copyright by stealing the film, you're really stealing the opportunity for us to continue to make more film. So we need the support of our community. Every time you're buying a ticket or buying a membership or buying a t-shirt, we have t-shirts, we have hats. We are launching Seventh Chakra Films as a film company for Andy to have a platform for all the stories that, need to be told and that creates the opportunity for us to fight because the content is what's the power you when you when you give someone a film and they could sit and watch all of that information that you just walked through that you saw in that movie that andy was able to put together in a format that is palpable that is power and that is how we're going to change laws because we will wake up the public and we will wake up the army. It's remarkable how few people know that vaccine makers have no liability, even politicians. So the only way to really change laws is to change the court of public opinion and film is the most powerful way to do that. So when we, as we kind of land the plane here and just have some, some final thoughts, we, you've been doing this for, I guess, Andy, if we say 1995, we're, we're at 25 years, I guess you've been in this and, and in healthcare longer than that. Um, been at the front lines, taken the arrows that many will never take and, and, um, stirred bravery for people that many wouldn't. And honestly, wouldn't even be sitting here having this discussion probably. And many of people don't even know that they can attribute the health of their children to things that were set in motion because of your, willingness to just simply do what's right. I know you don't necessarily like to be considered a hero and we don't say that to puff you up. We say that because we're thankful. 
However, um, how do you, how do you, what do you kind of speak to us? Because, you know, people can get weary from one conversation at Christmas where their uncle gets mad at them for saying they're not vaccinated and they're, um, I was recently told that um, I wouldn't be welcomed in the house of my stepfather if we did not get the COVID vaccine. And I s- just simply let them know that it can save you a little bit of time because we will not be getting a COVID vaccine, but we do love you. You know, you're, you're part of our family. And so how do you, what can we do as a community, the people that are listening to this that are scared, they have kids that need to go to public schools because they, you know, their work requires it and the stress that we're going through and unemployment. Can you encourage us or is there a, a final thought? Because you are an eternal optimist. I've seen you at many chiropractic events, obviously being a chiropractor, we have tried to bring you in and you have been such a, a, a supporter of chiropractic and, and otherwise, you know, how, talk to us these last few minutes on Help us understand how this story could end and what we can do right now in our communities and our families. How do we keep hope? It might get a little worse for a little bit. Kind of where are you at with it? Maybe just share your heart and parting thoughts for our listeners. Well, you know, it's been a privilege working with chiropractors and talking to them. And, and one, one of the things that's always struck me about chiropractic meetings is that they bring people bring their children, the children at the back of the hall, and they are remarkable. They are a testament to the way you live your lives, and that means, for the most part, that you don't vaccinate. And and I'm afraid that's as simple as it gets. You know, the proof of the pudding is in the... And, and there it is. And I think that the takeaway message from this film and from what I have to say is it's a positive one, a really positive one, as long as we access that inner authority, don't defer to some external authority by... Like, like, like Tony Fauci standing there telling us how we should live our lives and what the future is that we might face. No, look to that inner authority and understand the extraordinary power that mothers in particular have, that intuition, and remember that we are here because of it, not in spite of it, but not here uh, because of doctors, men in white coats, uh, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, antibiotics. We're not. We're here because of an ancient wisdom that um, that has kept us safe for this period of time and should keep us safe forever if we choose to listen to it. So you already know this. Chiropractic families already understand this. The rest of the world needs to get it and needs to get it right now. You know, Andy, we, the name of our, our show is called Designed to Heal. And it, it just always, and you know, the chiropractic languages that we often use and remove the interference and the body will heal. And there's so much interference, much of it we've done to ourselves and we need to remove that interference. Sometimes it's the mainstream media. Sometimes it's advice from well-intentioned people. And sometimes it's just sinister greed and fraud, but we can't turn off our brains. We thank you for being a a forerunner and and a fighter, even though maybe you were thrust into this without necessarily just wanting to do that. You've never strove for the spotlight. You're not a, you don't like the attention, but you are willing to fight for the moms and the babies and, and the future. And so we thank you. We love you. Um, if go see the movie, uh, get online, get, support the film, go to, you know, follow them online. You, you know, you can Google them. You can find the act. Is it, I want to say it the right way again, Lori, can you give us all the kind of hashtags to end with here. Go to 1986theact.com. You'll dial into everything. Perfect. We love you guys. We thank you so much for your time. I know it's super busy with the launch going on. You guys are heroes. We love you. God bless. 
Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Well, to our listeners out there, we drop our episodes every single Monday. And just like clockwork, we want you there. We want you to get notifications on whatever platform you subscribe on. And we will catch you next week on Design to Heal. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic. Designed to Heal is produced by Jeff McLaughlin. For production inquiries or to sponsor the show, send a message to info at achievewellness.clinic.